Thanks now for joining us on KVCR for KVC Arts, Arts and Entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming, welcoming once again Judy Tishon, continuing our conversation about her recent book, Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language. Garbled. Did you know that that one was food-related? You'll uh, hear about uh, barbecue as the book opens. And speaking of barbecue, on this edition of the program, we'll hear about nectar and ambrosia. It's barbecue for me anyway. Of course, romaine lettuce as well. That's all just ahead. But Judy, as a word geek, this book was just the kind of thing that would reel me in and be the impetus with me walking around a book in one hand, gesturing wildly with the other, proclaiming, so that's where Buccaneer comes from. And I knew there was something odd about Partridge. This as per your own suggestions on how one might read the book. But in addition to the etymology, the stories... That's what gets me a lot of the time, the stories which sometimes accompany these origins. Yes, so many wonderful stories. And I have to be clear, maybe clearer, that a lot of the stories can't possibly be true. Nevertheless, the pursuit of the word is fun, and the stories often contain a little nugget of truth. Oh, absolutely. Like the word romaine. Yes, which doesn't seem to have a very interesting etymology. I wasn't even going to include it. It comes from French, laitue romaine, which means Roman lettuce, <laughs> and came into English in the early modern period, so, you know, around the time of Shakespeare. But some people have suggested that it has to do with the popes of Avignon in the 14th century oh. when the popes in Rome were fighting amongst themselves. I mean, apparently, real actual fistfights in the streets. Mm -hmm. And for decades, or for 70 years, the popes removed themselves from Rome and took up residence in Avignon, where they built a new palace and where they grew grapes and made wine, which we know as Chateau Neuf du Pape, the new castle of the pope the wine that comes from there, that is clear that they did that right around the time when this other book was written in French in which an old husband writes to his 15-year-old new bride saying, here are all the things you have to do to run a fancy house. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. It has lots of wonderful information about food and menus of the time that included porpoise and hedgehog. and yeah. It's hard to imagine they ate some of these things. Yeah. But it also included the knowledge of when to plant your lettuce of Avignon, your special lettuce. This young bride was supposed to know that. Didn't mean that she was out there planting it, but that she would make sure that it happened. <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. But some editors of that wonderful work suggest that the lettuce of Avignon is connected with the popes and connected with this period in history, which turns into the great schism when there were two popes, one in Avignon and one in That's right. Rome, and one was called an anti-pope, and sometimes there were more than two popes. So it's possible, I suppose, that if the popes were growing grapes, and they surely were growing lettuce too and having a kitchen garden, maybe they got this term, laitue romaine, going in the 14th century. Nevertheless, I can't claim that it is the etymology for the word romaine because we can't connect the dots. It doesn't show up in writing mm -hmm. until centuries later. 
And that's kind of one we have to go back to if we're trying to uh, track down a word. If we're looking for the providence, as it were, I suppose. Oh, it first Uh appeared, one might say impact should not be used this way. But no, I'm sorry, I found it in the 16th century, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, On the other hand, etymologists or lexicographers do like to go back before writing because you can reconstruct roots, Indo-European roots, If you look at Latin and Greek and Sanskrit and many other languages, Mm -hmm. you can figure out root words that apply to all the descendants of the Indo-European languages. And the American Heritage Dictionary, for example, has a wonderful appendix in the back that lists all these root words. So sometimes it is fun to look at those roots. And so, in fact, to go back earlier than the first written record. But mainly, lexicography is about writing, or to a large extent. Not solely, but to a large extent. Wow. We're going to go from Pope to Pop here. Okay. (laughs) And this is one that I didn't find addressed in your book, but just because, I mean, this is my type of thing. So, soda versus pop. Yes. I understand where both of the words soda and pop come from. So just while I've got you in the room, I'm curious as to how they may have become regional word choices in the United States. Pop up in Wisconsin. I accidentally wrote it with an A, interestingly, Wisconsin. Hmm. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio. Soda, I encountered this one more when we moved to Kentucky in between fifth and sixth grade. So pop, northern thing. Soda, getting toward the south. Now, also in Kentucky, I do have to point out that many carbonated beverages were simply called Cokes. You want a Coke? Yes. Yes. What kind? Dr. Pepper, interestingly, being a Pepsi product. Interesting, yeah. So, yeah, so pop, more of a Nordic influence with the word pop to pop out or pop off as the cork would do and what you might do. (laughs) Well, I think you've got it there. I don't think we have a good, or at least a certain etymology for the word pop. I like your suggestions. I'm inclined to think it is an imitative word. And of course, that is one source of language, onomatopoetic words. So I'm going to say it's that. But as to why some parts of the country adopt one word and some parts of the country adopt another, that's a tough one. It can go back to who settled those areas. Right. Say again your definition of pop. You mentioned... Okay, well, Nordic, as far as I'm wondering if more people used that term, that were coming from Sweden and Norway, yes. and more of them ended up in Wisconsin and Minnesota well, and all those kinds I'm of places. Wondering. So, yes. No, but I actually read this. This one isn't mine, but I read that a poet wrote about the word pop. So soda was already in existence. Sodium bicarbonate, fizzy drink... And so this thing that he encountered in a bar, which was a mix between sort of a ginger beer and some sort of, oh, I don't know, a nectar of some sort, it would pop as you open the cork, but he noted, like Mark Twain would, just as the cork would pop off, if you drank too much, you would pop off yourself. <laughs> and so that's well, I where like we that. I love that. Yeah. I just learned that one when getting ready for I this like interview. That. <laughs> yes, because to pop off was used, well, I think Jane Austen uses it to say somebody's died. Oh, in a humorous sort of way, yes, pop, to pop off. off. To the other side. Mm, wow. <laughs> so that's an interesting connection. Yeah, if you drink too much of it, you mm. might just pop, pop off. off. And, that's, yeah. and speaking of, well, dying yes. or not dying, and you mentioned the word nectar. So yes. I'm just going to take this chance. Oh, please. 
nectar comes from a Greek word going back in its earliest forms to the root that means to overcome death. Mm. You know, we have necrology. What other words do we have with well, ne- I, I, necrophiliac. Well, uh, okay, that's what I was trying uh, not ne- to necronomicon, say. Anything okay. having to do with the dead. Yeah. So, okay. Right. Anyway, <laughs> nectar, of course, is the drink of the gods, and ambrosia is the food yes. of the gods. Actually, those two words were interchanged. We tend to think of them as separate, but ambrosia goes back to a Greek word meaning ambrotos which means immortal. Mm. And I think it's so interesting. Myth can tell us so much about our attitudes towards food. And in this case, what makes gods gods? I mean, what makes them immortal? They have this wonderful food. They have nectar and ambrosia, both of which make them immortal. Mm. And I think maybe we still have that sense that if only we could eat the right food, We could live longer, forestall death, put it off for a while. Mm. And maybe in a comic kind of way, the Mediterranean diet (laughs) is our version of that. (laughs) There's one other connection with um, food and Zeus. As a baby, he was fed honey by a nymph named Melissa, that means honey, in a cave that's sacred to bees. Bees were often often considered sacred in a number of mythologies. Uh, So we could add honey to the list of things that helps to make you immortal. Mm. And mead, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, mead, exactly, because that means honey, too. Yes, so... Yes, if only we learn to eat right. And I think we are obsessed with that even. Yeah. How to eat right, how not to obsess about ourselves as just a pile of carbs and protein and salt and sugar. And but we think of ourselves yeah. so often in terms of food. What we ate yesterday, what we're going to eat today, we define ourselves in terms of food. I'm a vegan, I'm fasting, I'm watching my weight. Yeah. Going back to the arrangement of the book, did you want to divide it and chapter it as it pretty much appears, or was it a case of you noticing, oh, wow, I've got a lot of breakfast, lunch, drinks? This is chicken or the egg, I suppose. Yes, it's both, but it does seem to me it's my response to the rhythm of appetite. Mm. While writing the book, I thought a lot about appetite, (laughs) how it comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. Sometimes for a person, it doesn't seem to go quite so fast (laughs) as it comes back. But I just was fascinated by that, by that rhythm. And so the structure of the book is to a large extent my response to the rhythms of appetite. Beautiful. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, but also mid-morning Java break, although that chapter turns out to be about computer words that come from food, like cookie and menus and bite. Yeah, there are so many. And also happy hour, because we often do like to have some bit of food before dinner and nightcaps, too. But yes, so it is very much about appetite coming and going and coming and going. Mm, And I love the promise of it coming back. I mean, I don't see it as a problem, generally speaking, although sometimes I feel like I'm eating even if my stomach isn't empty. (laughs) I just want to be eating. And you got to wonder, where's this appetite coming from? 
appetite it comes from a word that means desire. And of course, lots of things trigger that desire, just the thought of the food. Yeah, yeah. But I don't see it as a problem. No. I see it as delightful. Yay, I get to wake <laughs> up in the morning and have a cup of coffee and something yummy to eat, toast and jam, wow. You've, in a way, come full circle with what we discussed earlier about both with breakfast and dinner, both being to break that fast. And so each one, whether you're asleep, greeting the morning or, hmm, that's interesting there. We also discussed earlier a couple of drinks and foods and types of food that sound better than what they are. And that's where the name came from. Now, some things sound exactly like what they are. Take the ice cream sundae. For hmm. example, this hmm. it was an ice cream dish served on a Sunday. Okay. Any others that you encountered that you can pop off here at the top here? That just seem to be... Well, you know, a lot of the words we borrowed, if we don't try to figure out an etymological meaning, mm-hmm. and often that pursuit doesn't yield much, these words seem to me to just be what they are, like bibimbap that ah. we got from Korean. I believe in Korean it means mixed rice dish. So that's what it is. It doesn't mean something else. Or harissa, the hot sauce, it's an Arabic word from North Africa or Middle East. Burrito, well, no, burrito, I can't say that, can I? Because that does mean little donkey or little little burrow. Hummus is a Turkish word. So at least in English, hummus, wonton, harissa, bibimbap, and pho, the Vietnamese noodle dish, I think those words just mean themselves. Just what they, they are. Just, uh, they they right. say their okay. name. Okay. And I think pho, by the way, or pho, however you, one says it, is an interesting word. We took it from Vietnamese, but I believe they took it from the French pot au feu, you know, a stew, a dish on the fire. Okay. So it's a word that may have gone back and forth and back and forth, east to west, east and west, changing flavor mm. as it goes. How oh, beautiful. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Judy Tashan, author of Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language. We heard from Judy about the book last week as well, and that conversation can be found at kvcrnews.org slash arts. Well, that and 490 past episodes of KVCRs, but that was the most recent and is currently at the top. Also more at judithtashan.com. Judith, T-S-C-H-A-N-N. JudithTishan.com. And more with Judy as KVC Arts continues. Back now with KVC Arts on KVCR, I'm David Fleming. Find many past KVC Arts programs via podcast through iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, and Google Play. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. Joining me on this edition of the program, we have Judy Tishan, author of Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language. Before we continue with the conversation, please consider the fact that it's interviews like this, interviews on lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez, 
And, of course, what you get on All Things Considered, Morning Edition, and so much of the public radio fair you hear at KVCR. This is where you get this very thing, and this is something to keep in mind as we approach the on-air portion of our fall membership campaign, uh, loosely speaking, that's coming up mid-late September. But you can give any time of the year at kvcrnews.org support. And, of course, while at kvcrnews.org, please take the time to check out the rest of the station and its offerings. Okay, going back now to Judy Tishan's recent book, Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language. A delightful conversation indeed. And as we continue, Judy, there's a word which is certainly food-related, but I don't remember if I saw it in the book. Do you tackle maize as in corn or grain? Well, I, I certainly looked it up okay. and talked about it. It's from Taino, T-A-I-N-O, which is a so-called New World language. Ah. Here's but, my reason for asking. Okay. Is that <laughs> growing up in the U.S., I think oh, the early part of the mid-70s, something like that, we had that wonderfully racist Land O'Lakes commercial with mm. the woman, yes. of course, in the buckskins and, of course, wearing a feather and a headband and... And so yes. this Native American woman oh. who was made with real corn, and she would come in saying, we call it maize. So it was, this was, quote, the Native American word, you know, like this one sweeping word for corn. Yes. So now here's the thing. With Priya, my wife, in India, they grew up calling corn maize as well. Yes. And so when they moved over to this country and saw that commercial, we call it maize. It was like a big deal. So do we. Right. And well, so, we so do they. Portuguese it, thing, yeah, maybe. they do in Britain, too. They, mm-hmm. they refer to sweet corn as a different thing, but maize is more generally grain. Yeah, just I a think. general yeah. grain kind of thing. So. Right. I believe Taino, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that word, T-A-I-N-O. Okay. It's an Arawakan word, mm. which is a Caribbean language, and that's the word that gave us barbecue. Uh, okay, the rack on which you would be drying or smoking your meat. Or... Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. And that's one of those false etymology words, a story, you know, people say it comes from the French barbecue, mm-hmm. going from beard to tail, <laughs> as if the way you would spit the pig and oh. to roast it. Not a happy image It was suddenly to it was better just four seconds ago. That was so much nicer than... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, it's not true. It's one of those stories, but no. We got it via Spanish, but it goes okay. back to an Arawakan word. Okay. That's just always one that was a curiosity for me. And my only common element was... Portuguese or the Portuguese sailors maybe yes. moving the word around. But yes, yes. Okay, well, getting close to wrapping, I think. We talked about this being a pile of post-it notes because just, hey, this is fascinating. I'm going to write it down. And, oh, you know, like John Belushi, some of his best bits would come out of this folded-up matchbook that he's trying to fish out of his pocket while he's trying to tell Lorne Michaels about it and all this. And so... That's what a lot of this book came from, <laughs> yes. these post-it notes and right. folded-up matchbooks. And I'm still and finding them. I'm oh. trying to clean out my study, but I keep finding these. Well, I hope you do, because my question is, basically, you had this pile and noted, hey, there's a lot of food and drink things. This became this book, Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language, available now. I would take it then that there's still a posted pile somewhere full of non-food and drink-related word origins. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Any hopes? Or maybe you're just tapped out for now, you know, with Romaine. You're done writing for a while. No, I want to keep writing. 
I don't know how to organize them. Oh, I guess okay. that's the idea. Okay. They could be just in dictionary form. No, I don't know yet what to do with the remaining post-its. Gotcha. But I've got lots of other writing projects. I wrote a novel, and I'll only just say it's in the drawer, and I hope someday it'll be on the shelf. Oh. And I was thinking about writing about bunnies and other creatures in the margins of medieval manuscripts. Ooh. Because they are so funny. They're bad bunnies, naughty bunnies. uh, (laughs) But they are doing human activities, especially hunting. So these bunnies are killing people, wrapping them all up. And one rabbit is even knocking an arrow of a crossbow takes a lot of strength to do that. You have to use your foot. It's a very funny yeah, picture. Yeah, they would have... Yeah. Uh, so, marginalia. <laughs> and there are a lot of nuns and priests and other clergy in the margins of manuscripts doing surprising things, playing what looks like baseball. And there are lots of scatological and bizarre <laughs> images in the margins of manuscripts that have prayers and are ostensibly sacred books even and one wonders what they're doing there (laughs) so we'll see (laughs) yeah how about this what is the word that you were prepared to speak about that you just knew oh david's going to ask about this one and of course david didn't touch on it at all (laughs) anything you brought in exciting to speak about and i just you know like lemmings off a cliff i just avoided it altogether now, garbled is an interesting word. Oh, garbled. Oh. Garbled means to clean spices. You put them in a sieve and you clean them. Garbled. Oh. <laughs> and then what you have left, I mean, the refuse of it is garble. That's uh, much There's more, always one more word. That's much more pleasant than shark chum. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I just thought of a way to close, not because this has a wonderful wrap, but it's just because it's something that I learned and had a great time doing it, and that's what this book is all about. And as you said, you can read a couple of words, put it down, come back, or you can walk around the room with the book in one hand, gesturing wildly with the other. The one that I enjoyed hearing about was bloody, and that is bloody Hmm. as a form of a curse word or use of the profane to be specific, let's say. I knew it to be a shortening of saying blood of Christ, and so that's why bloody was looked at as a curse word, so to speak. Now, then there was also the possibility of it being a shortening or an abbreviation of by Our Lady, something. Yes, yes. But then the one that was new to me, if you could discuss this, bloods were what one might call a noble. Yes, it does seem strange. Those other explanations are frequently invoked, but some people don't buy them. I read that it's likely that bloody comes from the slang term for aristocrats, bloods. And that term then came to mean not only the aristocrats, but their supposed drunken ways. A bloody drunk was drunk as a blood or drunk as a lord. So there we have it. It's not altogether clear, but there is some evidence that it might come from that. In any case, what a strange word hmm? Yeah, that is offensive to some people, bloody. And I think somewhere you wrote in there that it doesn't matter truly. The person who's offended by it doesn't yes. matter the origin, just the fact that exactly. it's offensive. <laughs> exactly. I don't care where it came from. I don't want to hear that word. Yeah. Uh, 
That's a nice way. Yeah, whether it doesn't matter the origin, I've decided I'm going to be offended by it, and you're not changing a mind there, man. Okay. Well, right. Judy, this was phenomenal. The one thing that I did not touch on, and so again, Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language by Judith Tishan, T-S-C-H-A-N-N. Do you have a website, or where can people find more? I do have a website, Judith Tishan, but you can just buy it on Amazon. You can buy it locally at the Frugal Frigate or at Barnes & Noble at a number of different bookstores in Southern California. It was at Romans. I think it's Mm, still there. And so on and so forth. Romans, that's a cool spot in Pasadena. The Frugal Frigate, that's a cool spot in In Redlands, Redlands. just off State Street. Yes. Cool stuff. And again, your website, that's just simply judithtishan and then .com. Yes. Judy, this was really cool. This was really fun. I hope this went farther than my personal geekdom here. The etymology of this, I love the organization of it. It's fun. This is stuff we use every day, and now we're learning more about it. And this has to be fascinating for so many people out there. I hope so. I hope so. Sometimes I worry that I emphasize the history too much. (sighs) But language is always connected with history, so hard not to. I love the fact, however, that we sort of ended on a note by saying, I don't care what it, <laughs> where it comes from. It's true. Uh, if you're enjoying your breakfast, who cares That's where true. the word comes from? On the other hand, <laughs> I think word nerds and foodies mm-hmm. do like any kind of information about their loves, words, and food. It's pleasurable. Yep. So, That's it. so we can have it both ways. It doesn't make a hoot of difference when you're drinking your Bloody Mary, mm. where it came from. And on the other hand, it can be a source of pleasure just to learn about it. Now we can have our cake and eat it too. Oh, okay. yes. What about that? It's just frosting on the cake. That's yeah. enough. Okay. Judy, thanks again. This is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking with you very, very much. That was Judy Tishon, and we've been speaking about her recent book, Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day, The Delightful History of Food Language. Judy's a medievalist with a fascination for language and a love of food. And we mentioned last week, I believe, that it was during the pandemic that she was missing the times we could gather over a meal or drink. And that's when this book came out. You can find Romaine Wasn't Built in a Day at many bookstores, including locally in Redlands, at least at the Frugal Frigate and Barnes & Noble, and once again more at her website, judithtishan.com. Judith, then Tishan, T-S-C-H-A-N-N, judithtishan.com. And with that, we wrap up another edition of KBC Arts. Thanks again to Judy Tashan, and here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, Sharina Wad, and Layla Boyd. Music beds and themes heard on KVCR is composed and performed by Sean Longstreet, though we did have a clip from Oliver as well. Still, thanks to Sean Longstreet. Find many past KVC Arts programs via podcasts through iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Google Play, and most past shows are at kvcrnews.org arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support. And speaking of which, a reminder once again that the on-air portion of our fall membership campaign will be coming up mid to late September, though you can contribute to the station any time of the year at kvcrnews.org support. 
and thanks again. 